If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Hey, y'all. I have got some very exciting news for you. It's the first ever live performance of LeVar Burton Reads, and I am really excited about this. We're bringing the show to the Now Hear This podcast festival in New York City this September. The festival includes great podcasts like Planet Money, Criminal, The Nod, and How Did This Get Made?, Plus more of your favorite comedy, storytelling, politics, and more. Like Larry Wilmore's podcast. Yes, Larry Wilmore will be there. This is a great value. One ticket will get you access to all 25 live shows throughout the weekend. And the first 100 people to use my offer code, that's LeVar, L-E-V-A-R, at checkout, will save 20 bucks. Not a bad deal. Now here this is September 8th through the 10th. In New York City. Go now to nowhearthisfest.com to get your tickets. That's nowhearthisfest.com. Enter the offer code LAVAR at checkout. It'll save you 20 bucks. Hey, everyone. This is Julia, producer for LAVAR Burton Reads. We're super excited to mix things up today because instead of a short story, we're going to be bringing you an in-depth conversation between LAVAR and Leslie Neka Arima, who wrote uh, the story featured in episode five of the show. Just a heads up that we ran into some issues during the recording and we've done our best to fix things in post, but please excuse any kind of funny noise or, or edits in this one. We really hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton and this is LeVar Burton Reads. And today we are going to break format just a little bit. I promise you I will be back with another story next week, but I wanted to take this opportunity to spend some time with the brilliant, brilliant author Leslie Neka Arima. Now, I've heard from so many of you who loved her story, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky, which I read in episode number five of the podcast. You, in fact, blew my Twitter up with love and praises. The story is about a mathematician who can actually calculate and extract human grief. Leslie, welcome to LeVar Burton Reads. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to talk to you. Um... Let's talk about about what it means when a man falls from the sky. Uh, I was just blown away by the 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 depth and specificity of your world building and the 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 depth and complexity of your characters. 
Um, where did this story come from inside of you? Um, well, first of all, thank you for, so much for that. Um, and, you know, when, when I write stories, and specifically with this story, I wanted it to be complicated. Um, and so the story started off with this image of a man falling from the sky. Um, and then I, you know, and then sort of built off a series of what ifs. So, well, what, like, what does it mean that this man fell from the sky? What if, what, what, what does the world look like that this makes sense? Uh, beyond just what the world looks like, um, what, uh, uh, what are the characters that populate this world? Because I want, I always want a story to have, um, many layers. I want a story to have more than one thing happening. And so, yes, it's a world where climate change has, um, reached a, a gory and inevitable end. Um, and yes, there is a formula that, uh, that can s- resolve a lot of our um, human, emotional, and physical issues, but there's also a character that's dealing with grief, and she's also maybe not that nice. Like I just, I just the idea of just like layering conflict upon conflict in a story and seeing what that does. Like that, that's something that um that I always try to do when I uh, when I write, and in and in her case, or in the case of the um, the story, what it means when a man falls from the sky, a lot of sort of these different aspects sort of floating around each other, and then they all converge at the end. You build a conflict engine, don't, don't you? I mean, there's, there's conflict upon conflict upon conflict upon conflict in, in this story. Um, and one of the things that I love about it is that, you know, our, our protagonist is not necessarily likable. Yes, and I, I mean, and that's something that I, I really enjoy writing unlikable female characters, um, you know, difficult women. I love. Um, I, there's just something about uh, a woman who's allowed to be difficult, and we're also still rooting for her. That I, I like the appeal of writing a character like that, and so, and then, and again, another layer of complexity where you know, as a reader, you're not quite sure how to fully invest your allegiance in the character. Like, I, I like I like the story to work with the reader on that level as well. Yeah. Do you see yourself as a difficult woman? Um, maybe not difficult, certainly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> At least, I hope so. Now, I, I think I've read that dreams uh, play into your writing as well. How do dreams play into your process? Uh, you know, I yes, and I and I hate to say it because it sounds so hokey. At least to me, I try to be very practical, and so it sounds so hokey. But every once in a while, I will have a dream that stays with me that I cannot cannot get away from, and I'll, I'll have to write about it. You know, put a note in my writing notebook because I know that it's going to come back somehow. And, and in fact, that that actually is what happened with. What it means when a man falls from the sky, I, I had a dream, and I woke up, and the only thing I remembered was this image of a man, the impact of a man falling from the sky. And so I, I literally wrote in my notebook, what does it mean when a man falls from the sky, and I went back to sleep, and it and ended up being this story. That doesn't sound hokey to me at all. Why would you, why would you think that that's, that's a, a hokey notion? Well, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe hokey isn't the way, but... Um, I'm just very practical and very, you know, hands-on. Like if, if I'm teaching my students and they and they say, oh, where does you know, how do you get how do you get stories? How do you develop ideas? I'm not going to say, oh, take a nap. You know, guys, like I, I want, I always like to provide concrete answers, and that was one of those cases where you just can't. Like it, it, it really was sort of my subconscious and the universe working in a way that I could not explain or control. Yeah. Um, let's talk about 
religion or God, um, if you will, for a moment. In the world of what it means when a man falls from the sky, religion has taken a backseat to scientific discovery. I wonder if you think religion will actually survive in the future of humanity. Um, I do. I, I do think religion will survive. And I think it will survive because um, humans are very much invested in the ideas of their own goodness. And religion fulfills that for a lot of people. Um, you know, the religion, uh, following the tenets of whatever religion makes them good, and therefore they are good people. And I think that I think that religion isn't isn't going to go anywhere. Um, you know, within the story of, you know, of course, you know, religion is something that that falls to the wayside. But I think that um, if if you know, I think if any, if the last couple of years have have taught us anything, is that um, you know, religion is not something that humanity will easily shock, shock aside. It's it's. Uh, I think I think it's with us until the end, until, until the bitter end. <laughs> yeah. Those are two things that that really stand out to me in the story. What it means when a man falls from the sky. The idea that that it is finally science that supplants religion as the ultimate authority in life, and the the other being that you know you you were way ahead of the curve in talking about refugees and the refugee crisis that we are now experiencing, mm-hmm. and it looks like we will for some time. Yeah, you know, when I wrote that story, I did not. I think I wrote that story. Um, it was either late two thousand. 14 or early 2015 and I did not um I did not envision it being relevant uh, or at least this relevant you know the refugee crisis was you know obviously existed at that time but it was not something that was was at that point part of the our 24-hour news cycle and so it was it, it wasn't a problem that existed in our cultural imagination and so but you know by the time the story um, made its debut into the world it was something that we were um, we were talking about and and it's one of those sort of Unfortunate coincidences because I would I very much love for this or the refugee crisis to not be, not be something that our world is dealing with now. But it, but it is it is something that that we have to think about and and I always wonder, you know, when people think about what writing what what writing will come out of a certain era, the idea that you know we're writing is a way for us to interrogate our assumptions and our expectations and to uh, reveal our, our imaginations of what the future could look like, you know, I'm, I'm very, very interested to see what work comes out of this as we are grappling with, with this, this issue. Are, are you, uh, by chance, a Star Trek fan? I am. <laughs> so um, I, when we first moved to the U.S., I did. I, I watched uh, the uh, uh, the Next Generation. That was that. I, that was my introduction to Star Trek. I, 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 in fact, for for many years, I didn't even know that there was a Star Trek before that. <laughs> you know, we had sort of you know basic basic whatever whatever was available for with your TV antenna, right? And so um, that like watching you know Captain Picard do his thing was our. It was part of our. Um, <laughs> learning experience. I, 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 I mentioned, I asked because, you know, Gene's vision was always, uh, it always stood out for me, number one, because I was represented. Um, having Nichelle Nichols on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise meant the world to me as a young black kid growing up in Northern California. And his storytelling was always about the human condition and allowed us to really look at our 
present time behavior through that safe lens of yeah. the future. And, and your, your work does the same. Uh, thank you. I, yeah, and I think that that, like the good speculative fiction, good science fiction does that, right? It, yes, it's about, you know, the technological advances, but it really is about how we as human beings will, will handle that. Like, uh, how does our humanity, uh, mutate or change to accommodate these, you know, interacting with aliens, with, um, with advanced technology? What is it about the genre that that calls to you, that appeals to you as both a reader and as a writer? Yeah, um, what what I love about speculative fiction is is what a writer can accomplish with it. And in in my case, I I like the idea of seeing what happens to a person's cultural norms. Um, when they are placed in an unfamiliar framework, um, the things that we we accept and and don't question, what do they look like when they are not within the the sort of accepted uh, framework of of our, of our society? Um, you know, and and you know, there there are ways that we do this every day. A, a, somebody who curses, who's now in a church and can't, right? That's somebody who's been taken out of their familiar framework. Somebody who is an avowed meat eater, who finds himself in a um, in a vegetarian space, right? Like we we know we know that on a micro level, and I like the idea of looking at that at a macro, at the macro level, and it, I feel like I think it, it it helps us to understand each other. And at least understand our society better, just as the idea that you can see a color more clearly when it's on a contrasting background. Um, and I like I like that the idea of pulling out this this particular color and and now let's 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 look at it somewhere else. The next generation of Influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Let's talk, let's talk about how you and where you grew up. Um, are you an only child or do you have sieves? Oh, I am, um, I am one of five, um, but I am in the middle. And I am in the I'm in the middle between two sets of twins. <laughs> what? So I think fi- you know, I always figured I was either going to be an artist or a serial ki- a serial killer. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> so you are uh, in the middle of two sets of twins. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have read about you that that you embrace in your life as well as in your writing the idea of loneliness or being alone and it strikes me as perhaps coming directly from this family that you grew up where both above you and below you they were paired off and in sync <laughs> right well i mean i don't know i think my older siblings and i were were so very close in age it's only a year apart but i mean they you know they are twins they do have that special twin relationship and so at either point in my life, I have been either closer to my older brother or closer to my older sister. And so we're on, we're, you know, on all of us, all five of us are pretty, pretty, pretty close in age. There's, um, there, we all fall within seven years of the oldest and the youngest. Um, but, um, but yes, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think, I do think that like loneliness was, was something that I dealt with a lot as a child, but it was less so within the family and more so, um, especially after we moved to the United States, sort of feeling unmoored in this, what I, uh, what was then to me a very strange culture and, um, and trying to find my place within that. You were born in the UK. Yes, I was born in the UK, and then I mean, and then we moved back to Nigeria when I was three months old. So, um, and then um, you know, lived. We spent growing up. We spent uh, time divided between Nigeria and then wherever my father went for work. He worked in the. He was an engineer, working in the oil industry, and he got transferred around quite a bit. And sometimes he went. With, we went with him. Sometimes he went alone. But Nigeria was always home base. And then when I was 13, we moved to the United States. Louisiana. To Louisiana, yes. I, I came from a military family. So I was born in, in West Germany or what was used to be called West Germany. We moved back to the States and then we went again for another tour of duty when I was in the third and the fourth grade. So, I, you know, I'm kind of familiar with moving around, which you did. Um, how did that impact the person that, that you became, do you think? Um, you know, I think that I... I learned how to be a stranger, and and meaning that I uh, it was a certain a very specific kind of displacement, where 
you move somewhere and you're supposed to make sort of the like you know, moves and overtures as a person who is settling, but knowing that this is going to be, you know, this isn't this is going this this might be snatched away in eight months or or a year or whatnot, and we moved around quite a bit um, until we moved to the United States, and so I just I think that I. I learned to not have any particular emotional allegiance to a place. Nigeria has always been that, uh, the exception of that um, to that rule for me. But I, I always told myself, oh, I can live, I can live anywhere for three years, right? So if I move somewhere for school or grad school, I didn't like it or something. I just thought, okay, I can do this for three. Like I just, I, there, I always knew that oh, whatever time I'm spending in a place will come to an end. I became accustomed to being an unknown entity. The idea that, oh, I'm not going to be around here long enough to be known or to be recognized. So yeah, that's yeah, that's what I that's what I meant by that sort of like learning to be a stranger, learning to be someone who is maybe like seen but never quite understood. Um, I, I think that if there's any value in that is that you learn to be an observer and it's you know, as 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 somebody who eventually moved to documenting the human experience, being an observer is a useful tool. But I mean, if I if I hadn't become a writer, if I if I'd gone the serial killer route, like well, I don't know that that would have helped. But um, yeah, but I mean, but, serial yeah. killers have to observe human nature. <laughs> that is true. I would probably make an excellent serial killer. I think and there's, there's still time too. I'm I'm still young, <laughs> so. <laughs> I've got a couple of more questions for you. Do you believe yeah. in God? <sighs> That's a good question. I believe in something. Um, I don't know what it's called. Right. Um, I do not. I probably. I mean, I don't. I don't practice um, the re- you know religion in the way the same way that I grew up. Um, but I, I do. I've, I've just seen too much of the world to to think that there is nothing there. Um, I don't know that any one of us has gotten it right, <laughs> but um, but I, I, I believe in something. I do. Well, yeah, we talked we talked a little bit about about that unseen world, right? Um, yeah. Did, does does that come from the 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 Nigerian uh, roots or the the religious spiritual roots? Um, I, I would say both, and in fact, you know, gr- growing up, those things were very much intertwined. Growing up in in a Nigerian household, um, that's also a religious household, is sort of this. You, you're growing in two worlds. I mean, you know, there's there's the spiritual world and then the physical world, and and you know, any any good Nigerian pastor will tell you that that you know one is well, the spiritual is more important. But I mean, like, but you know, they both they both exist and they both um, they both weigh equally in in. My, you know, or at least weighed equally in my day-to-day life, and so this idea of like this duality of nature, this sort of this way of seeing the world, is, is something that that has has never quite left me. Um, I hope it makes me a better observer and a better writer too. Too, I do I do think that it it does help me to understand people better. This idea that um, that they might be living in a world that is completely different from mine and that my world is invisible to them and their world is invisible to mine uh, 
and the and the idea that we need like we we need to make our worlds visible to each other, mm. right? And so um, yeah, yeah, and then and, and you're right, and writing writing does that. Uh, destiny or fate? Do you believe in in in, in the idea of, of destiny, or, or the or the other idea of of fate? Um, I. Hmm. I yeah I I don't I don't believe in in destiny in the sense that um you sort of your your life is uh uh set out and like no matter what you do you're going to get to this thing um I do believe that um so there's this idea in Igbo cosmology where your chi, which is as a shorthand, your soul or your spirit, um, negotiates with the gods on what sort of what your life will be like, you know, before you before you're born, mm-hmm. and then and then you and then you're born, and then hopefully your chi like doesn't suck at his or her job, and was able to negotiate something great. Um, I, I believe in like some version of that where there is a like there's the possibility of a certain destiny is there, but it's not something that that happens without your effort. It's not magic. It doesn't just happen. Like you, you have to recognize and like walk towards that. Right. You know, it came to the fork in the road, and I chose writing. And I think now that I've chosen writing, there's something at the end of that path. I don't know what it is, but I need to keep writing till I get there. Whatever that is, I need to keep writing till I get there. And and so so there is a destiny there, but it's it's not gonna happen magically if I you know just because I chose writing, I have to, I still have to keep moving forward. Yeah. And what are you reading these days? Well, um, I am reading quite a bit. So um, I really love uh, graphic novels um, or comic books, whatever, whatever they call, whatever new name they're calling them now. Um, I really, enjoy, I'm really enjoying Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughan, who I think everyone knows Brian K. Vaughan, especially because of Saga, which is, you know, um, a fantastic graphic novel. Um, I'm reading um, Hole in the Middle by Kendra Fortmeyer. And it's literally a story about a, somebody, a girl who was born with a hole in her middle, and it's sort of very, it's it's uh, it's strange and weird and meta and fantastic. And um, Kendra is a writer whose work I've been following for for several years. Um, and let's see, I'm also reading um, Kintu by Jennifer McCombie, which I probably in the top ten of um, books I read the last five years, and I read a lot. And, and that, that book, I thought, was, um, is absolutely fantastic. There's nothing like being in the space of a novel and not wanting to leave that world. Yes, yes. Who, who are among your favorite authors, your top five? Oh, wow. Oh gosh, I feel, I probably should be prepared for this. I, I'm always I'm always terrible. I always forget people. I always forget books. Um, I uh, Juno Diaz um, is. I'm a big fan of his work. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Octavia Butler. Yay! Yes, <laughs> the Queen Mother. <laughs> Huge fan of hers. Um, uh, people I can remember off the top of my head. Um, I am a big fan of the weird worlds of Victor Laval. 
His, I think his work, his work is fantastic. And, and if you like speculative fiction, I think you'd, you'd probably enjoy his work quite a bit as well. Um, That's three. I'll, I'll take your top three today. Okay, perfect. Okay, good. I was, I was scrambling for another two. And of course, the second I, the second I get off air, I'm going to remember all of them. But those are the ones that I, I off, off the top of my head. Leslie Nakarima, y'all, her collection was one of the most anticipated debuts of this year, and it does not disappoint. You can get What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky from Riverhead Books. Leslie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, LeVar. My pleasure. LeVar Burton Reads is produced by Julia Smith. I'm also grateful to Eric Jorgensen for his help in producing this episode. And please, if you love the show, and I hope you do, and you'd like to help other people find it, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, leave us a suggestion for the show. I've loved hearing your thoughts about the podcast and suggesting possible stories for upcoming episodes. If you like the interview with Leslie Neka-Arima, know that we'll be dropping more of these author interviews on Stitcher Premium in the coming months. We'll be back next week with another handpicked story. Or if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. All you have to do is go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium. And they'll slide you one month for free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Ginny Radelette. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter at at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. And for the young readers in your life, my award-winning Skybrary app for kids can be found on the App Store, Android, Kindle, and at LeVarBurtonKids.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. When people from different cultures get married, how do they decide what food is going to be their food? You've completely given up the way you grew up eating. When we pass our cultures on to our kids, what are the complications? Generations and generations of Jewish people in my family who've kept kosher. Like, is it going to end with me? Am I going to be the one that's going to stop? I'm Dan Pashman from the Sporkful Podcast. Join me for our latest series on race, culture, and food called Your Mom's Food. How do parents who adopt kids from other countries use food to connect their children to their birthplace? It's one of the few things that is truly Ethiopian that I can give to him. And what happens when those kids grow up and feel like it wasn't enough? We'd go to this camp in the mountains, and that was where we were Korean. And then once we left, that was kind of it. Your mom's food is up now. I'm in a cultural struggle in North America, too. Would I be happier if you kept kosher and they kept kosher? Yeah. That's like the first thing you do with your kid is you feed them. Subscribe to The Sporkful in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. 
anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.